Chapter 16, in his own words. The following recording is the transcript that Inspector O'Gallaghan taped and then played to me months earlier when he visited me at Balliol College. It was subsequently replayed at his trial for the judge and jury at the Old Bailey. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Otto von Braden, but I've been living as Major Robert Chandler since I arrived in Great Britain at the end of World War II. This is my honest testimony on how I managed to pull off this great deception. Two years earlier, when I was the commandant of the Drancy Transit Camp in Paris, I was transferred to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück, where I became commandant as well. It was located near 90 kilometers north of Berlin. Many prisoners worked for Siemens and Halsey, the electrical engineering firm that had a factory just a few miles from the camp. In April 1945, the war was not going well for Germany and the Soviet forces were advancing from the north and the American and British forces were advancing from the south. I knew that Hitler had retreated to his bunker with some of his top generals and I had made plans to leave Ravensbrück at the appropriate time and head towards Berlin where a friend, Hans Himmel, from my time as a Nazi brown shirt was living. I planned to stay with him for a day or so and then arrange a passage to England with my contact at the British Fascist Union. That part of my plan was dicey as communications were now non-existent and I'd have to use all my resolve to find a way to cross the English Channel to get to safety. I knew that as long as I could get to England, I would be fine. The years that I had spent at Cambridge had been invaluable as my accent was flawless and I could pass for an Englishman 100% of the time. All I had to do was to find a way to get across the channel. That was where my friend Hans entered the scene. I arrived at his flat to find him furiously packing a suitcase and he had just made plans to fly to Spain that very afternoon in order to catch a boat that was sailing from Malaga to Argentina the following day. Argentina was the country that he planned to start his new life in. He mentioned that he was meant to be meeting a man, a British agent called Robert Chandler who was reputedly a spy. Hans had been feeding him false information for some time. Robert Chandler and Hans had heard through the grapevine that British security had learned of his deception. Hans intended to talk to Chandler, and if things went sour, which he suspected they would, then have Chandler arrested immediately. Now, because of his imminent departure, it was unnecessary for him to make the meeting. He asked if I'd be willing to meet with Chandler and I suddenly realised that this could be the opportunity I'd been waiting for to help me cross the English Channel. And because this golden opportunity presented itself, I agreed wholeheartedly. I'd left my wife and my children at our house in Ravensbrook, knowing they'd be well looked after and settled into the flat and waited for the meeting with Chandler.
That evening he arrived right on time. I answered the door and introduced myself to Major Chandler. Initially he was suspicious, but after I explained that Hans and I were old friends, he began to relax. I downplayed my position in the Nazi party, never mentioning that I had in fact been the commandant of the two notorious detention centres, but that I was in fact a major just like him in the German army, and that I couldn't wait for the war to end. Slowly but surely, Chandler relaxed, and I could see that he was beginning to quite enjoy himself. The icing on the cake was when I mentioned I'd been educated at Cambridge. He laughed and immediately told me that he was an Oxford man, but didn't hold against me that I'd gone to Cambridge. There's always been a healthy competitive attitude between students from Oxford and Cambridge, and this finally did the trick. After that, we chatted for hours, and he told me all about his life growing up in England, and about his parents, and where they would go every year on holiday. He told me he'd gone to Hydney House Prep School, Harriel on the Hill as his public school, and finally he'd gone to Balliol College at Oxford for his university education. I'd been plying him with cognac, and he became tipsy, in fact, so tipsy that he leaned down and, fiddling with his shoe, suddenly produced his military papers that he had hidden in a compartment in the heel of his shoe. Drunk as he was, he wanted to show me what an important little man he was. He waved the document at me, indicating that he wanted me to look at them, and so I stood up, walked across to his chair, and looked at what this idiot was waving. Not only did he hand me his full military ID, but he also handed me all his travel passes. I looked at them carefully, and while he nattered on, I devised a good plan. After I returned to my chair, having returned his documents, Major Chandler told me about his peacetime job with the Ministry of Defence in Whitehall, and how, after war had broken out between our two nations, he'd been offered a position to train as an agent, carrying out operations behind enemy lines, trying to cause as much confusion as he could to the German military. My plan was simple find out as much as I could about Major Robert Chandler, and then, when I had enough relevant information, I would kill him, and then steal his identity, and using all the means at my disposal, I would make my way across Berlin, and attempt to cross over into the now Soviet-controlled part of Berlin. That was my greatest risk, but given that Chandler and I were the same age, the same height and the same colouring, I considered the risk to be worth taking. Once I was in the relative safety of the Soviet-occupied territory, I would be able to make my way to the British sector of Spandau, which was the westernmost of the twelve boroughs of Berlin at the junction of the Havel and the Spree rivers. I'm lucky to possess a photographic memory and spent the next hour learning as much as I could about the life and the times of Major Robert Chandler. When I was certain I'd gleaned as much as I could, I chose my moment carefully. Chandler was an extraordinarily bad agent and had allowed himself to be duped by me, a total stranger. 
having drunk a massive quantity of cognac, which I liberally poured into him, he then had to relieve himself, and as he sat down again when he returned from the lav to continue talking, I took out my pistol and shot him through the heart. I felt a bit bad for the man, but it had to be done. We were at war. That night I left him in the chair and went to bed in Hans Himmel's bedroom and slept like a baby. The following morning I awoke and changed into Major Chandler's clothing, which fit me to a tee, retrieved his ID papers and travel documents, then left the flat with him still sitting in the chair and continued my journey toward the Soviet sector. I knew Berlin well, having lived there for some years with my wife Astrid, so I chose back alleys to travel that short distance. As I suspected, the Soviet guards gave me a hard time, but I managed to finally convince them that I was Major Robert Chandler. I decided to leave my case at Hans Himmel's flat because I was concerned that if I was searched, they might find the loot which, given the circumstances, appeared to be likely. As it happened, I'm glad I made that decision, because I went through a rigorous search at the Soviet sector as the guards were on the lookout for any fleeing Nazis. Having managed to enter into the Allied zone, it was important that I kept myself to myself as much as possible for fear that I might run into someone who knew Robert Chandler. Luckily for me, the English didn't manage to advance into Berlin until two months later, and by that time I'd already landed in England. I managed to get a lift on a transport plane flying into Southampton two days after I arrived in the Soviet sector. Because I was familiar with Berlin's geography, I wound my way through the back streets, finally ending up at Tempelhof, airport that the US and the UK shared for supply runs to Berlin. I had to wait two more days before I managed to catch a ride. I flew into Southampton and then contacted my friends at the British Fascist Union who sprang into action and found me a safe house to stay in for the foreseeable future. It was at the safe house that I was introduced to Ruth Martin, who I'd first met when we were both undergraduates at Cambridge and would attend meetings at the British Fascist Union. Ruth was obsessed with socialism. She had a sister named Lilibet, who had been married to the Englishman I'd killed to steal his identity. I didn't know that at the time, but the British Fascist Union had orchestrated our meeting so I could meet Robert Chandler's widow, who, because of his death, was in extremely dire circumstances. Ruth Martin, Lilibet's sister, had concocted a scheme to introduce us during a holiday in Scotland. Lilibet had two small children who I was happy to help raise. It seemed to me a small price to pay for freedom. We subsequently met and married, and I successfully assumed Major Chandler's identity and lived in relative harmony with Lilibet as man and wife for 21 years. The audio tape of my dad's voice ended without warning. I looked down at my feet, feeling ashamed and confused. What he'd said was damning enough and would, without question, put a noose around his neck. Also, the question that my mum had been duped was accurate. 
All she was guilty of was falling in love with a man who was introduced to her by her sister. There was no question that she knew a few things didn't add up, but her situation at the time dictated that she didn't ask too many questions. Was that wrong? Possibly. But given her dire circumstances, she had gratefully taken the olive branch that was handed to her. After the audio tape was played, the Crown requested a lunch break and the proceedings adjourned for two hours. At 2 p.m., the case continued. After the jury was seated, the Crown told the judge, We'd like to call one final witness before closing statements, my lord. If it pleases the court, we'd like to call our witness right now. Chief Justice Lord Halloran, who was presiding over this high-profile case, nodded his head and said, Fine, call your next witness. Jerry Walters, the prosecution for the Crown, spoke clearly and succinctly as he called his last witness. I call Major Robert Chandler. As he spoke those words, a murmur could be heard throughout the courtroom, and Robert Chandler appeared through the back doors and walked up the aisle towards the witness stand. It was a surreal feeling watching him enter the courtroom. He was middle-aged and frail, and seemed full of reticence as he approached the witness stand. Who was this man? Could he be yet another imposter? It wasn't until I looked over at my grandmother and saw her tears forming that I realized that it was really him. There was a gasp as the people in the gallery realized who was about to give testimony. He raised his right hand and was duly sworn in. Please give us your full name, sir, the Crown asked. My name is Major Robert Chandler, and towards the end of the war, I had been sent to Berlin to meet with a double agent called Hans Himmel. He was unable to make the meeting and had sent Otto von Braden instead. I, of course, knew Herr von Braden by reputation and knew that he was bad news, and so I decided to treat him with kid gloves. Sadly, I underestimated him and he got me drunk, and as I was returning from the lavatory, I saw he was holding a gun and was aiming it at me. That was the last thing I remembered, because right after that he shot me and left me for dead lying in my chair. Later that night I regained consciousness and discovered the man had stolen my clothes and left me in the chair. What I discovered later was that the bullet had missed my heart by a fraction of a millimetre. I drifted in and out of consciousness all night, but pretended to be dead when I heard him come into the room. He must have gathered his possessions and decided to leave in the morning, as the next thing I remember was being found by some soldiers who placed me on a stretcher and carried me to a makeshift hospital. Major Chandler paused for a moment, and Jerry Walters, the Crown Prosecutor, asked, Did you know who the soldiers were who found you that morning? Yes, they were the Soviet troops who were moving in from the north and took over Berlin on April the 28th and had just secured the garrison that I'd been shot in. They found me and assumed I was a high-ranking Nazi. 
because they found a suitcase filled with jewelry, diamonds and money that had obviously been stolen from Jews in the camps that was in the flat where they found me. soldiers took me to a makeshift hospital where a doctor looked at me and managed to remove the bullet lodged near my spine. I spent a few weeks there and when things had calmed down a bit I was transported to Leningrad where I was thrown in a jail with a number of other German POWs. I'd recovered from the bullet wound and subsequently was tried in a kangaroo court and sentenced to life imprisonment at a Stalag in Siberia. No matter how much I tried to convince them otherwise, the Soviets believed I was this escaped commandant of Ravensbrück, Otto von Braden. I kept telling them that I was a British soldier, but they just wouldn't believe me. Once again, Major Chandler paused. The crowd in the Old Bailey was riveted. They couldn't believe that the Crown had been able to find and locate this witness, especially considering that the defendant, Otto von Braden, was actually on trial for the very murder of this very, very person who was clearly very much alive. How do you come to be here today, and how did you escape the Stalag, Major Chandler? The Crown prosecution asked. Thanks to an extremely astute observation by a friend and colleague of mine, Major Eric Battersby. He'd been instrumental in the arrest of Colonel Otto von Braden, who had stolen my identity here in the UK and had been living with my wife and children for the past 20 years. Major Battersby's job since the end of the war had been to reunite imprisoned British citizens and bring them home to the British Isles. POWs from Japan, Germany and Italy have been his particular passion, but because the Soviet Union was instrumental in the defeat of Germany, many were misidentified and captured then confined by the Soviets after the war. It just so happened that Major Battersby's area of expertise was in Soviet studies, and he regularly inspected the lists of all those who had been detained and sent to the Stalags. After he had arrested Colonel von Braden, he noticed that a man named Otto von Braden had also been detained in Berlin by the Soviet army and had ultimately been convicted of war crimes and then sent to Siberia to serve his sentence in Stalag Luft II. He had a Soviet friend who helped him research and locate the man in the notoriously brutal Stalag. 
the friend sent him a stock photo of my prison photo, and after comparisons, he thankfully discovered the truth, and the Soviets realized their mistake and freed me almost immediately. By the time I was once again a free man, I'd been in the Stalags in Siberia for almost 20 years. I was flown to Moscow, where I was met by the British ambassador, and then was flown home to London and to my freedom. I was horrified that the man who had shot me had had the gall to impersonate me, steal my life, my family and my identity, and then have the audacity to make a good life for himself here. And so I'm delighted to give destiny again at his trial and make sure that justice is done. As he uttered the last words of the sentence, a cheer erupted from the gallery, and then the entire crowd stood up and gave Major Chandler a standing ovation. It took the Chief Justice banging his gavel repeatedly to finally quieten the crowd. Order, or I will clear the court, Chief Justice Lord Halloran commanded. The crowd did as they were ordered. On the one hand, I felt badly for turning in the man I'd called Dad my whole life. If I hadn't followed up on finding out who the man was in the picture, standing with Hitler and his henchmen, maybe none of this would have happened. But I had to find out who he was. I couldn't have lived with myself if he had managed to escape justice. The man had killed thousands of Jews and had to be brought to justice, and I was the only one who had managed to work out his identity. On the other hand, as I looked down from the gallery at the old Bailey, at my real father, I felt so proud of him, and realized that if I had never started this strange journey, he would still be rotting in a Soviet Stalag. Thank God I did what I did. It had all been worth it. Throughout history, children have survived the sins of their parents. When you study criminology, you can look back at all the people who've committed heinous crimes, and the vast majority of them are parents with children and wives or husbands in tow. For example, Ricardo Eichmann was born on November the 4th, 1955, and is the youngest son of Adolf Eichmann one of the most notorious Nazis in history. Ricardo was five years old when his dad was captured and smuggled out of Argentina and flown to Israel by Mossad. As a teen, Ricardo learned of his father's crimes from books. He rejected the Nazi ideology of his dad and accepted that his execution was justified. I, like Ricardo Eichmann, was resolved to the idea that my dad had to be punished for the crimes he had so willingly committed. After a grueling five-week trial, Otto von Braden was found guilty on all 15 charges he'd been indicted for. The murder charge was amended to attempted murder. During the sentencing phase, his defense team struck a deal with the Crown and agreed that he should be imprisoned for life and be remanded to solitary confinement at a maximum security facility to be determined by HM Prisons. The audio testimony Otto von Braden had given was used in evidence several months later to arrest 16 active members of the British Fascist Union, including 
Brian Cavanaugh and William Collins, who had pretended to be the inspector and the police sergeant, respectively, who had visited my real father's parents at 37 Eden Terrace. Also, Ruth Martin, my aunt, was formally charged for being an accessory after the fact and aiding and abetting Herr von Braden for unlawfully entering the United Kingdom and using a stolen military identification belonging to Robert Chandler. Nine months after she was charged, she was found guilty and sentenced to seven years in prison and is currently serving her sentence at the Wandsworth Prison for Women. Brian Kavanaugh and Bill Collins were not so fortunate as they were both charged with aggravated assault, smuggling into Great Britain a foreign person and impersonating police officers. They received 15 years and 10 years respectively. Otto von Braden received a life sentence from the court and also got the tongue-lashing of his life from Chief Justice Lord Halloran. When the verdicts were read, a cheer erupted from the gallery, the loudest cheer coming from my grandparents. The reuniting of my father and mother was tense, but with time came an understanding, and Dad was able to come to terms with the dilemma Mum had been faced with. After he realised she had had nothing to do with smuggling Otto von Braden into Great Britain, or had any knowledge of his prior identity before he arrived in England. Only then was he able to reconcile her behaviour. Over the next year or two, I watched my parents fall in love for the second time. They announced their marriage on May the 6th, 1967, to be held at the Brompton Oratory on June the 7th. Mum asked her dad, to walk her down the aisle, and my dad asked his father, my grandfather, to be his best man. Simon and I proudly watched their entire wedding from the front pew of the chapel, and for the first time in over 20 years, we both had smiles of happiness on our faces.